Hello, listener, and welcome to Into the Characterverse podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to providing deep dives, impressions, and reviews for specific characters out of your favorite comic books. My name is Mike, and I'm joined by... Charlie. And this week, it is just the two of us. Yay. Boys week. <laughs> no girls. Girls drool or something. I don't remember what the thing is. Boys rule, girls rule. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, Audrey's busy, um, so we we didn't want to put the pressure of having to read on her, so... Uh, we're just going to two of us. If we have to do this a few more times, maybe we'll get a guest in here. Yeah. Read some more Nightcrawler. Yeah, I like that. So we are, uh, we're doing a bunch of, uh, Nightcrawler adjacent stories this week. Uh, yeah. it's kind of bridging the gap to some of the later stuff that we're coming up on. More X-Men yeah, focus. A lot of X-Men focus. Yeah. And, uh, so Excalibur has ended. Nightcrawler's Thank done. God. Yeah. Done, done his little stint with Wolverine and mm-hmm. all of them. And now uh, there, he's back into the full swing of the X-Men here. So uh, we are going to pick up at the, the beginning of the Messiah Complex. Um, so if you in the timeline here uh, on M-Day, which Wanda Maximoff, Scarlet Witch, used her reality-warping mutant powers to obliterate the X-Gene and distinguishes mutants from humans. Uh, in that instant, nearly all mutants lost their powers on... Once a race of millions are now a few hundred, they have no new mutant manifestations since M-Day, and each death, the future of uh, mutant kind dims. The X-Men, a band of mutants previously charged to protect the world that hates and fears them, now only fight for their survival. And you do definitely get the vibe of it. I do find it very convenient that it's like, the main X-Men mutants that are yeah, the ones that, that survived that yeah. kept their powers and like some of the uh other like main enemies of the X-Men that also kept their powers that was a uh, highly convenient basically the core group that just happened to survive all this yeah so the ones that we care about for the most part right right <laughs> so we uh, we're going to do a quick once over of the Messiah complex here um it's most of it isn't very Kurt centric but it's kind of important for what's going on here. There's a lot of kind of filler going on here, and there's a lot of people that die throughout these comics. Mm-hmm. But um, essentially, the Charles Xavier gets a big, you know, mental charge from something happening. Uh, a new child has been born. Uh, we're not a hundred percent sure exactly what it is, but they go to a town. It's on fire in the middle of Alaska. Mm-hmm. They find a lot of dead purifiers, which are essentially a religious zealous group that is trying to hunt down the last of the mutants mm-hmm. and kill them. They actually have like specifically anti-mutant weapons and stuff like that, and dampeners, that sort of thing. Uh, the other big players throughout this entire thing are the Marauders, which are led by Mister Sinister, Gambit, Mystique. You know, a couple other people. Yeah, I had to check on that one because Gambit <laughs> was in the in that side, and so I had to remind myself where he was, where he had where he had uh, drawn his alliances. Yeah, well, so uh, the very last comic of the Messiah Complex that actually kind of gets thrown into like up in the air. So it's mentioned early on in some of the early comics that Rogue is with the Marauders, and you're not really sure what's going on, but she's essentially yeah. in a coma. Interesting. And Gambit joined the Marauders so he could protect Rogue. And okay. Mystique is with the Marauders so she could protect Rogue. 
Okay. And essentially that's why they're there. And Mystique is essentially playing everyone to try to, you know, yeah, get get do her thing. But uh, you got Purifiers, Ravengers, and then we also get the um, Marauders. So the Ravengers are uh, Lady Deathstrike's team of assassin killers that they come up with. You're talking about Axe Factor? X Factor comes up too. Okay. <laughs> X Men comes up. New mutants come. New mutants. Or new new X Men specifically comes up. Uh, there, there's a bunch of different teams going on here. Mm-hmm. So th- those are all the main players. Uh, now that I remember all of the words and how to speak them, <laughs> it's a pretty fucked up thing. Uh, the purifiers came in and essentially killed all of the children. Uh, because they found out that a new mutant child has been born, which I don't know why they just killed all of the children, knowing that it was just born, but the purifiers seem pretty fucked. Um, I, guess, I guess they're just doing what their name says. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the marauders show up, they fight a bunch of people, a couple of people die here. A lot of uh, purifiers die, and a few of the marauders die. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we get a lot of deaths throughout all of these, actually. Um I I know that you hadn't read some of the other ones that which due to a mis- miscommunication on my end, but we we lose a couple of the new X Men as well. Oh wow! Uh, a few just students in the Xavier College. We lose a few of the X Men, and I'm trying to think who else. Uh, one of one or two of the X Factor as well die. Oh, they kind of take from everybody, then. Yeah, yeah, they, they kind of sprinkle throughout. So we're not going to go through all of these, but... I think the one thing that hit me in what I read was I I truly enjoyed the artwork on this one. Yes. I think anybody wanting to read a really vivid comic, I, I would check this one out because the they kind of pop with the lines and the and the coloring. Yes. I was really impressed by that. Yes. No, the, the this the artwork on this one is beautifully done. They do have kind of a weird model for Kurt in this one cuz he's very very tall and skinny. Like he just seems really narrow for what I expect from Kurt, but you know, that's that's a pretty minor. I, I, yeah, but I can see th- where they're coming from there because he's a acrobat, kind of a stuntman. Yeah. Kind of, you know, his whole thing is moving as quickly as possible rather yeah. than you know, having the real stocky. So I can see that take, I guess. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. So just a, a quick rundown of per, this 13-issue <laughs> yeah. run. Uh, new baby born, everyone trying to hunt new baby. Sure. Uh, so they after they do the initial thing, all the X-Men think that the Marauders have the baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Purifiers have previously attacked Xavier's school mm-hmm. uh, and killed like 42 kids or something like that. Like they killed a lot of people. Um, it was a way for them nice to people. thin out even more of the, the mutants after the M day. Yeah. Uh, so we, we get a bunch of splintering time or stories essentially going on here. We got the X-Men are growing after the Marauders to try to get the baby. They don't know if the purifiers have the baby. So they, uh, so the new X-Men go after them. Um, not really on purpose ends up getting, um, one of the new mutants stabbed through the chest from Lady Deathstrike. Oh, like damn. it's pretty visceral, like claws all the way through the chest. Damn. Um. Yeah. So it, it they were pretty clearly outmatched in that fight. They go on. The Marauders also don't have the baby. The Purifiers don't have the baby. <laughs> they also took Jamie Madrox and they had him split up. And they spent sent two of his duplicates into future timelines. Smart. Because. There have been no timelines that Forge has been able to find that have mutants. Then after the baby was born, there were two timelines in which 
the like the mutants still okay. existed, but they didn't really know anything about them. So they had Madrox send two of his consciousnesses to the future for this. Okay, and that storyline pretty cool. I'm gonna sum it up real quick. There's a kind of savant like mutant that is part of Jamie Madrox's crew that jumps yeah. in when she wasn't supposed to to go to the future because Jamie Madrox's thing, unbeknownst to Jamie Madrox, for his duplicates was a one way trip. Oh. So everything that his duplicates learn when they die, he instantly like gets all that of that information that they know. Only when they die. Only when they die. So they send him to the future, gonna kill them, and then he'll get the information back in this timeline. Interesting. Okay. It's interesting, but this that girl jumping into the timeline kind of screws everything up. But yeah, uh, we only look at one of the two timelines f- through this entire thing. We know that they sent two of them, but only one of them do we see. That is the one where Bishop comes from. Oh, cool. So it's a timeline with Bishop. Uh, mutants are kind of in a concentration camp. It's it's a bad time. It's a thing we've kind seen a lot typical, in the X-Men before. Yeah, the typical Bishop story. Yeah, so we actually, the, you see where they get the M tattoo over their yep. eye and stuff like that. And you actually meet a young Bishop at the end of this story. Oh. So they, they find out that um, essentially the reason why this timeline happened is because the new mutant that was born, Hope is her name, uh, the new baby, uh, of course. It, there's a, like, <laughs> I, I guess there's a six-minute war, and, like, a million humans die. Oh, wow. So, like, it, it's a pretty extreme, like, bad things happen, so they clamp down on the mutants super hard, dampen yeah. them, and pretty much kill or put them in concentration camps. Okay. So, that that's that timeline. It's 80 years in the, 80-ish years in the future. Okay. So, that that's kind of where that timeline comes from. So, once they figure out that... The Marauders and the Purifiers don't have the baby. They don't know who has the baby. They're very confused. We find out that it's Cable. Everyone thinks Cable is dead, but he's alive, and he's the one that stole the baby. These are like the normal players in the X-Men universe with this time travel, Bishop and Cable. I mean, that is, you know, their MO, basically. A hundred percent. Which I think is great. I mean, I always loved Cable, loved Bishop. I thought they were great characters, really fun. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I always found them a lot of fun, and... Cable isn't talking to the X-Men right now. Uh, all the X-Men were confused. They're like, wait, Cable's dead. They're like, no, Cable's alive. They're like, well, if Cable was actually on our side, he would have talked to us. Um, and using a lot of kind of convenient things, they essentially frame Cable for a bunch of stuff. It's not actually him doing <laughs> it, but, you know, th- that old yeah. trope. So that that's fun. But Cable's uh, running with hope because he knows that she saves a specific timeline in the future. So that's the other timeline. One is Cable's, one is Bishop's. Gotcha. So that the that's kind of the big conflict here. So they, they hunt down Cable, and the Marauders eventually get the baby back from Cable. Uh, okay. Lady Deathstrike fucks up Cable real hard. Um, uh-huh. uh, the X-Men go in. We get uh, the, one of the uh, X-Factor people here die as well. Like fighting, he takes a bullet for Warpath. Warpath is yep. in there with the uh, with the X Factor and all this other stuff. So there, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. A lot of this, Kurt um, saves the group. They they go and they fight X Men. Go in and fight the Marauders. The battle doesn't go super well, but mm-hmm. he essentially sacrificed semi sacrifices himself. He doesn't actually die to save Wolverine. So they there's a mutant that um, suppresses powers, kind of like we saw in X3. Yep. So 
Wolverine is essentially holding on to him, thinking it's Madrox, but it was actually an image inducer. And then Omega Sentinel, uh, she's the one that is in the white... she has sentinel powers, but she's yep. a mutant. She blasts him like hardcore with one of the mute, like anti mutant beams, and like completely fries Wolverine. Like you see, like rib cage, and like he's like kneeling, and his healing factor is turned off. Right. So he's essentially dying. Right. And so Kurt, after getting a bunch of other people out, grabs Wolverine and gets him out. But at the same time, uh, Kurt gets sliced really good and goes unconscious for. The second half of this entire storyline. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. So, Kurt, Kurt does the heroic thing and saves Wolverine. Wolverine's a pretty big player for the rest of the storyline, yeah. as he is with every storyline. Right. He, yeah. He is the X-Man. Yeah, he is the X-Man. Not the X-Man, but, you know. Yeah. He was the big money maker for a long time. So, oh, yeah. Uh, Kurt, in the first half, plays a pretty, pretty big role, teleporting people in and out, fighting, all that other stuff. Not really in a leadership role, because uh, Scott is in leadership here after ousting Xavier. Uh, uh, Scott and Xavier are at odds the entire time. Scott has taken over leadership of the X-Men, and Charles is just kind of there and okay. doesn't really know what to do. He's kind of lost without leading yeah. the X-Men. So there's a lot of that sort of stuff. Eventually, it all boils down to the Marauders get the baby. Mystique kills Mr. Sinister by touching him to Rogue until he's dead. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fucked. Mystique wanted the baby, got the baby, and was going to use the baby because it was in uh, a diary of a, like a, one, a mutant that could foresee yeah. future kind of stuff that this baby would save Rogue. So she's willing to sacrifice the baby to save Rogue. So she touches the baby to Rogue to essentially absorb the powers. The baby doesn't die, though, which is very surprising. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot of... It's it's the Messiah complex. So there's a lot of, like, new coming sure. Jesus-ish imagery here. The purifiers think it's the Antichrist, but, you know, it it's really depends on who you talk to. Right. But uh, the baby doesn't die. The X-Men eventually bust in. They get a hold of the baby, and they agree to give the... uh, So Bishop is trying to kill the baby as well, because this is the one that essentially fucks up his future. So Bishop Uh is trying to kill the baby. He's the one actually framing Cable for a lot of this stuff. All the stuff that bad happened was actually Bishop, not Cable, which, I mean, they they have... They're they're both time traveler people. So Bishop ends up getting munched by a big predator. It's called Predator X. It's a creature that was developed in the same place X-23 was. It's kind of a weird through through line I haven't talked about. But Bishop essentially gets his entire arm bitten off and part of his head and stuff like that. And shoots to try to kill the baby and actually kills Xavier instead. Xavier takes one in the dome and dies. Okay. Yeah. Essentially, Cable takes the baby to the future to raise it and train it. Okay. Yeah. So that, that that's more or less how it boils down. There's a lot of stuff going on here, but Kurt is not super central yeah. to all of it. But some of the stuff that happens in here is very useful for future stuff. Uh, like one of the Marauders, his name is Headhunter. He's a very skilled hunter of mutants. So. Right. That that ties into one of the stories that I think you're going to talk about here. Yeah, the in the divided we stand. Yes. Yeah. So we can. Jump. Well, what would you rate the whole Messiah complex? It was interesting. They w- did not shy away from killing a lot of people, and yeah. I. It is time travel, but it was time travel light, and well, it was that's al- good. Uh, like I, obviously, we had the Madrox thing. 
going on, but it also revealed Bishop's kind of origin story, and we don't deal with Cable going into the future at all. That's just kind of how it ends. Like, he goes to the future, and then later on, it's done. That's it. So we have the time travelers, but we're not dealing with a lot of time traveling. There's a lot of moving parts in this story, so if you're not familiar with them, it can be really hard. So I, I wasn't reading comics at like at the time when this came out so like some of the splash pages of all these people fighting i was like i don't know who half of these people (laughs) are especially when they're fighting like the marauders these are a lot of villains that i am not familiar with sure so that was a little tough um overall i'd probably give it uh 3.5 or 4 out of 5 okay i enjoyed it the artwork did vary a lot um and it did make me want to read the new x-men stuff a little bit uh that that team is very interesting um and i think the next time we roll for characters i might throw x23 on there i'd be down with that because x23 seems very cool it's like wolverine but with more personality that's not just angry and gruff so yeah so yeah i'd probably give it a four i enjoyed it a lot right on okay all right let's uh let's jump into the divided we stand yeah so uh i think we'll kind of skip over the initial stories of divided we stand because they really didn't have anything to do with Kurt. They were kind of just wrapping up loose ends the whole time. Yeah, so. and it was wrapping up loose ends because uh, at the end of that, Cyclops dissolves the X-Men. Okay. Yeah, so then that makes a lot of sense because you see a lot of people lost and kind of trying to find their way. Um, you know, we see Cannonball who is struggling with identity, and that's still kind of the, the theme of the first bit of this is we're going through different scenarios where these people don't know how to fight or act or who to lash out at because the x-men have disbanded yeah they Um, they don't have a school to go back to they don't have a team right and you know like the one guy um oh yeah uh uh, it's a news news uh i knew i i I couldn't pronounce it correct he's essentially like a super strength and he can grow in size um he has some pretty cool powers actually but he has you know vibranium painted on him but he is kind of lost because he's not at home in wakanda he doesn't have it at home because the x-men aren't there to help him out with the meditation and things that were keeping his powers within check so he you know it's another story where we just see somebody that doesn't really know what they're doing you know kind of lost without it and we see, you know, again, another story with um, another young mutant who is, you know, uh, gay and he is kind of like a interesting looking mutant. And yeah. so he is um, kind of out of place in a few different ways, or at least that's how he feels in this storyline. Yeah. So he um, also kind of brushes it off and leaves his, you know, he leaves his mom and dad. I mean, that's kind of the indication I get is that he is walking away from everything. Yeah, which I found that one interesting because it seemed like his family was very loving. Like, he even mentions, right. like, how accepting they were. Like, when he returned, they were, everyone was just down with it. He wasn't really getting, like, picked on in school or anything like that or anything. Right. Like, he honestly, he kind of had best case scenario for this, but he, he still felt lost. So Yeah, which is fair. I mean, yeah. even if you have a supportive family, you can still feel that way. Um, then we get um, Julian Keller, uh, who reaches out to magneto to also kind of and magneto kind of puts him in his place too you know kind of saying that just because you're upset with me and and i and i thought this one speech bubble was interesting he said so find me their greatest enemy you love them so much you want to hurt them but i won't use you and i won't kill you you are a mutant one of the few remaining yeah and so 
again another mutant that's lost and just looking for any connection to the x-men so i thought it was interesting they brought magneto into it and yeah. he kind of seemed you know he seemed as the the old wise man at that point exactly yeah 100 percent. but now we get to a part with kurt where we see this headhunter you were talking about making some sort of scrambled egg dish made out of the leftovers of everything which yeah. was a very interesting parallel to his life yeah so you kind of see through little, that one. little bits of him and just all held together with the the egg essentially mm-hmm. but we see uh what looks like a priest talking to him and ordering the same thing week in and week out and that's when we see a little indication of kurt watching him you know we see the tail so obviously he's using his image diffuser or, or whatever it, it's called image, image inducer yeah, yeah there we go yeah yeah there. yeah and so he keeps just saying <laughs> head under keeps saying no hablo ingles and you know kurt keeps talking to him and eventually he switches to spanish and he goes back to get his gun and to leave kurt comes in attacks him you know kicks him starts to you know kind of they have a little fight and then kurt boils it down to i don't want to kill you I don't want to hurt you. I want forgiveness. And he goes back to the religion, yeah. you know, and he kind of, he defaults back to, you know, his Christianity and the God and the forgiveness. And, yeah, 100%. And, and talking about those ideals and Headhunter then, you know, he starts to wear a cross and that's where he goes with his life because he's a copy of a copy of a copy. Yeah. He, and he, he really has nothing. Yeah, exactly. He's he's a blank slate, so he can be whatever he, he wants to be. So I thought that was a really, it was a good look into Kurt's personality and yeah. his his beliefs because that's another thing that in the next reading we talk about too is his beliefs and yeah. his um never fit you know his never faulting uh or never wavering faith yes so that was united we stand and that was issue number one and then after that we get into um manifest destiny yeah so they were doing a lot of events at this time. Like, there was just event after event after event. Yes, it was a lot. But that was a good story. I'm I'm sure it would have made more sense if I'd read more of Messiah Complex. Yeah. Kind of tying up those loose ends. But it was an interesting look once you got to know what they were looking at of what the X-Men would do without the X-Men. Yeah. The, the, the lost feeling that they have. Well, and that was the thing is uh, at the end of Messiah Complex, it was super abrupt how Cyclops essentially just walked away. He's just like, right. the X-Men are no more. Like, that's literally like the last line of Messiah Complex. So it, it, he just disbands the X-Men, the new X-Men, you know, all of them right then and there. Right. And a lot of these people had no other place. The X-Men were their home, their family, yeah. where they felt safe or yeah. they were helping them in some way. Yeah. Uh, so we get into X-Men, Manifest Destiny, Nightcrawler, and this one starts off with X-Men, or uh, <laughs> X-Men, Nightcrawler getting invited to a a gathering for him in his hometown, like yeah. a museum opening. So he goes there, he sees a museum, which has been curated by this um, young woman who appears to have a, a large crush on, yes. on Kurt on Nightcrawler. It <laughs> like, also seems to be a theme throughout all of these. Yes, always. Everyone always has a crush, a crush yes. on Kurt. But we get to the real point of why they built the museum, and that is to hunt a monster, or a demon, rather. Yes, yep. And so these, you know, the, the very blah townspeople, you know, lumberjack, uh, messed up teeth, yelling at him, yeah, saying that he needs to take care of this demon, 
and Kurt kind of is taken aback because he thought that this was all about him. Yeah. And it is a pretty cool looking museum. And the demon, this red looking, uh, he kind of looks like a big nightcrawler with more horns. Yeah. And red. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So a parallel for sure. Yeah. But he jumps into the museum and starts attacking everybody. And Nightcrawler starts fighting him immediately. And during this scene, I thought it was really cool. He grabs two swords out of the museum case and starts fighting with them. Yeah, I thought that was great. Going back to the swashbuckler. Yeah, and he says, yeah, I, here I was worried I'd be rusty. And then he gets his, you know, he gets his kind of ass handed to him <laughs> and flung backwards, <laughs> which I thought was a great part. But he just uses his teleportation to kind of gain the upper hand. So... The demon leaves after being bested, you know, being hit in the back by his teleportation. So exactly what he should be doing. (laughs) And Kurt is kind of upset by this, you know, asking if there's anything he needs to repair, replace. And she talks about the fact that she took out insurance for this exact reason because she wasn't (laughs) sure how this is going to go over in this town. Yep, yep. Uh, A weird scene, I thought. I'm sure you... I'm not sure if you thought the same thing when you read it, but wasn't he teleported away and she sniffs his teleportation? Yeah, it was, it was fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah. With that sulfur. And then says, mm. <laughs> yeah. Just weird. Yeah. It was very strange. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole point of this is that they they thought the demon took a child. Mm-hmm. So Kurt goes teleporting through the forest, finds the demon, and they start to fight again. And they kind of come to an understanding that. The demon didn't kill anybody, and that he didn't take a child. He was actually roasting a deer. Yeah. And Kurt and him kind of have a similar, you know, a parallel conversation because they're both demons. They're both judged upon their looks, not who's inside. And so they get to the heart of this issue, and we find out that the demon was in love with the girl, and he wanted a little bit more, a little (laughs) bit of a physical relationship, and she wouldn't do it. And so, you know... The person who got burned, their grandmother put a curse on him, uh, as you do, you know, a typical 16-year-old fantasy, (laughs) and he turns into this demon-looking thing. But so then we get the townspeople, pitchforks and all, coming to get the demon and Kurt and get this missing child that's not missing, and Kurt gets shot. Yep. I thought he was dead. Yeah, no, he doesn't I, die yet. No, I just, I, it was one of those moments where I thought for sure, like, then especially the way it hit him, it looked like it hit him through the heart, like the left breast. I was <laughs> yeah, like, no, it was, oh, it, it very much looked like, yeah, a bullet through the chest. <laughs> yeah, so we get the demon fighting, and then we see the demon toppled over as Kurt teleports back, and he appears to be dead. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, oh, are they really going to kill the demon guy here? Like, <laughs> Yeah, he's gone. And so we see Mephisto show up, of course. Of and course. we get uh, a little bit of a flashback to the demon wars that Kurt refused to be a part of yes. in the last reading that we had. So that was an interesting call out back to Mephisto and kind of his ambiguous uh, presence in, yeah. in Nightcrawler's life. Just kind life. of around, yeah. Uh, so... We get Nightcrawler coming back to the museum and uh, kissing the curator, the young curator. Yep. Thought that was interesting. Didn't really seem like she was expecting it or wanting it in a way. I, I don't know if I read yeah, that. Yeah, with, it didn't. With her eyes, they were like open and kind of questioning at that time. Yeah, it was kind of weird because she was very flirty-ish in yeah. the beginning. But then once he made the advance, it didn't seem like she was super into it. She wasn't ready for that. No, no, no. no. 
We then skip forward to San Francisco. A week later, we see the X-Men and Kurt show up again. Uh, just pop in there, teleport in, uh, grab this dude's helmet and take care of him. So making him out to be the hero and, and kind of the smart guy. So that was uh, X-Men Manifest Destiny. Yeah. Cool little comic. I thought it was a great parallel uh, with the demon and the pitchfork and yeah. people coming after, you know, an under... An, uh, an unknown and misunderstood person that yeah, just sure. happens to look different. So, yeah, uh, how would you rate these two? Uh, they're both good. I mean, they weren't like the best comics I've read. I would, I would say three point five for the first one and a four for the second one. What about you? I, I'd mirror that. Yeah, they were they were good. Nothing crazy. No. Nothing that like super awe inspiring. But I mean, they were they were solid comics. The artwork on most of them were pretty good. No, nothing that like actively annoyed me or anything so <laughs> i thought the i thought the manifest destiny was quite good yes. the artwork yeah uh they kind of portrayed they had the extra pencil lines and and mm-hmm. kind of this rough hue and you know this rough look which i enjoyed a lot so yeah it was a good one yeah no i agree i agree so well uh, i'm gonna just do a quick recap of kurt in uh x-men second coming perfect because uh, it kind of picks up Right after the stuff that you you had just talked about, uh, so the X Men have reformed at this point. Uh, Scott has reformed the X Men. It's got Emma Frost. It's a typical X Men that we've been dealing with recently. Yeah, kind of that second wave of X Men. Yeah. So Cable has returned with Hope. Okay. And there is a human council that is essentially hell bent on killing and or destroying mutants. At Good. this point, so we we get uh we there's a, a fusion between like uh, Nimrod and uh, Omega Sentinel and stuff like that. Like, okay, it's Bastion is the name. It, like, essentially, it's a bunch of like evil human guys that have modified themselves to be able to kill mutants very well and stuff like that. And they're essentially they've been waiting for Hope to return so that okay. they could kill Hope because she's the one that would save the humans or they think destroy or save the mutants slash destroy the humans sure. in their eyes so they, they've been waiting for it so once cable and hope return everyone starts finding them like immediately uh they're all tracking uh the techno organic virus that <laughs> cable has so they find a way to track that so having hope along with them yeah you know is a liability so there's a lot of fighting here we do get a couple mutant deaths again like a sl- slightly lesser known you know, ac- new X-Men, at least sure. lesser known to me. Again, I wasn't reading comics much at this time. So. Kind of the expendable ones. Yeah, exactly. So w- we get some of that stuff. But the big moment for Kurt, so they Kurt is resisting a lot of the stuff that's going on here. So Cyclops had authorized Wolverine and X-Force to do a bunch of like covert ops, kind of fucked up, like hunt down and kill people type missions. Good for them. Kurt... Not a big fan of this, uh, yeah. Because you know how Kurt is, but uh, so Kurt Kurt's kind of resisting Cyclops and the the whole group at this point. He's not really agreeing with the direction of of the group, but also understands the importance of the mission right now. Sure. So what ends up happening is knowing that they have to separate Cable and Hope because they can hunt down Hope if if she's with Cable. Mm-hmm. Rogue uh, steals a little bit of power from uh, Psylocke and X-23 and uh, uh, Angel. And, you know, she she gets a little bit of everybody and goes with Kurt and, uh, and Hope 
teleports them out of the, out of there. They eventually, Bastion, I, I'm not 100% sure how he figures it out, but he does locate just the three of them. Okay. Uh, Kurt is extremely tired because he's teleporting the three of them mm-hmm. very quickly across the country, essentially trying to stay ahead of everyone and just keeps teleporting. Yeah. It's just, he's wearing out, so he's, he doesn't have a lot of... We make lot. it pretty well known that him teleporting anybody besides himself is, you know, it kind of Strenuous. is awesome. Yeah. yeah. So he's been teleporting the three of them, like, across the country. Uh, and what ends up happening, and Bastion gets there, he's essentially, he's Nimrod, more or less, so he can, Rogue, like, fucks him up real bad, like, smashes his head completely apart, and he's kind of able to rebuild himself, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But he gets his hands on Hope, like, reaches for Hope and is going to kill her, and Kurt, at the last second, teleports directly between them right as his uh bastion's oh, hand no. goes through goes through kurt's chest and as a last ditch effort kurt teleports hope to the like where the x-men are oh okay and it's pretty visceral because when kurt re- rematerializes with hope the hand is still in his chest he teleported oh. the hand with him and it's like directly through his heart yep and uh kurt dies okay yeah so that's uh, I'm not gonna go too much more into the rest of the story because it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with Kurt really. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like it's a lot of unnecessary information. But sure. yeah, that's uh, like pretty much all the X-Men walk out as Kurt passes away, and Kurt essentially tells Hope that he believes in her. Okay. Like that's it's like the last things he says. Okay. So yeah, it's a fitting end for Kurt. Yeah. Uh. Artwork was good. Interesting story. Very convenient villain type yeah. things, and like from in this part of it. But I mean, it was all right. If you've already read like the Messiah Complex and stuff like that, you might as well continue the story at going. this point. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but yeah. maybe th- three and a half. It yeah, was it was okay. Special. Yeah, no. yeah. Just a good comic. Yeah, yeah. So this one leads into Wolverine Weapon X, um, number sixteen. So. We get Wolverine standing over a a sea, and we see that very interesting image of Kurt with that hand through his chest. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's obviously in Logan's memories. We see him kind of talking to himself and, and trying to console him because he was close to Kurt and, you know, vice versa. And I don't think he realized, you know, I'm sure he's kind of a loner, and I'm yeah. sure he didn't really realize how close he was to Kurt and how much he meant to him. Yeah. And so and- he's kind of reminiscing yeah they've been friends well you know air quotes friends in the comics for you know 40 years at this point like they've both been in part of the x-men and other groups for a long time at this point so he was always his friend his elf you know yeah he's always around you know trying to steer wolverine in the right direction keeping him on the straight and narrow Mm -hmm. when wolverine gets a little too too ragey yeah too wolverine-esque yeah we see warren fly in and tell Wolverine that he has a will, Kurt's will, and that Kurt would like Logan to carry a 20K concert grand piano to the Church of Ascension, of Holy Ascension. And so it's on the top of a mountain in Venezuela, and he <laughs> wants him to carry it there. Yes. <laughs> uh, given that I know some things about music... I could not believe that 
So, like, just the way that he's carrying it yeah. throughout this whole thing. And we're getting kind of ahead, but so he takes this hovercraft or these hover things, and that's working fine. I can see where he's coming from there. Yeah. You know, Until like, he lands raining. the jazz. Yeah. <laughs> it starts raining. He loses the hover. So he's dragging it and yeah. he's carrying it on his back and then, like, pulling it up by one arm up yeah. the mountain. I was like, what the yeah, is this, the, I, is this the lightest piano of all time? This is honestly the wildest like premise for a it's story so weird. ever. Like it was so fucking weird when they're just like, "Oh yeah, you gotta transport this grand piano to the top of a mountain." I was like, "For fucking what reason?" Like, like you have to carry it, even though it's the extra. Yeah, what? He's like Warren. Why don't you do it? Just fucking yeah, fly it. Dude. <laughs> just fly it in. Why, why am I doing this? Well, as he's doing this, of course, we get these flashbacks of of Kurt, and one of the big ones is one of the first time they met, and he they're talking about faith. So that's kind of the driving, you know, driving force in all of this is is Kurt's faith, and he's I, I wouldn't say trying to push it on Wolverine, but he's just kind of he kind of talks about it, and it's a big part of his life, so it's hard not to talk about it because yeah he views Wolverine as a friend or a new friend. And so he's talking about a passion of his. So that's how I'd read it. Yeah, um, no, hundred percent. I would agree with that assessment, but he talks about, um, you know, Wolverine basically says, I only have faith in my claws and like, that's what I need. And he slices this robot up and kind of holding it out and saying that, you know, th- this is what I need. This is what like will get me by is this and, and kind of proving it with this piece of the robot. Yeah. He also makes a like a statement of like when this this piece of metal is embedded where your head should be, I'll stand over your grave and see if someone swoops down to get you. Right. Yep. And and so we get him kind of talking about this. We get another flashback where Wolverine is upset that Jean Grey died and, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of. He just wants a friend there. Nightcrawler goes out there and tries to console him. Again, they talk about faith, and Nightcrawler doesn't push it. He says it another time, and, and kind of, you know, Wolverine's saying, what are you going to tell me, that I'm going to see her again in all this? Like, I'm going to be here long after you you die, you know, because of, obviously, his healing factor yeah. and close to immortality. And so it's another scene where we just see this growth and this bond between the two of them yeah um, but then we get the ridiculous scene of him carrying the piano up a mountain with his claws so. yeah <laughs> he's got a strap to his back like interjected between all this good stuff we have this crazy story yeah no it's it's, it's a wild story it's a wild premise for a story like yeah. i was like you couldn't have thought of a better trial for wolverine to do to reminisce on all of this yeah. like I, I, they had to do something i get it but come on well that's the thing is like do like a pilgrimage carrying food or something like that like what are you doing or a bible yeah you know or something small that's a little bit more approachable yeah but we get another scene where kurt's trying to stop wolverine from killing somebody and talking about you know saving his soul and what is he doing to to help his soul out so i thought that was interesting and then, and you know, and I'm I'm just kind of going through these flashbacks, but another flashback where Wolverine drops off all these supplies for first aid, and it's really Nightcrawler behind it, but he doesn't want to scare people with his blue skin, so he has, you know, Wolverine do it, and he says, I don't do it for the thanks, I do it because, you know. It's I the right do, thing. Yeah, I want to do something good. It's yeah. the right thing to do. So he gets up to the top of this mountain, nobody can play the piano. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and it's something that Kurt has funded this church up here. So yeah. I thought that was a really interesting. He touch. went up there the year before and helped build it and stuff. Yeah. And the priest says that he has something for him that Kurt gave and that he would know when to give it to this person that came up there. And it's the piece of the robot that, yeah. that they had. So Wolverine says, and I am reading it straight from the, the, the comic, but tell you what, bub. Someday soon, and I mean very soon, when you're lying on the ground with a chunk of metal like this where your face used to be, and you're bleeding out, waiting for God to swoop in and rescue your mortal soul, I'll stand over you. And then the last panel is just, and keep an eye out for him, which is, you know, kind of touching. And, and, and at the end, we get Wolverine standing on the cliff saying, okay, elf, you win. So I thought that, it was a good story. It was a great yeah. story. Um, I really like the flashbacks. I could go without the piano being dragged up a mountain situation. But... Yeah, if it was literally any other like yeah. motivation to have ex, like we <laughs> have Wolverine like reminisce. Like it was a really touching like comic. All in all, it was a good like recap. Yeah. Especially if you're assuming that Kurt is going to stay dead at this point. Like, right. it's a good recap and touching on their friendship. Yeah, especially since Wolverine is kind of the flagship comic at this point so like right. putting kurt a whole kurt centric story front and center in this one was a you know a, a touching little tribute for it shows his human side wolverine yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure so yeah i enjoyed that one too so yeah. I, I go like a four four yeah i'd go four. four two yeah the piano shit just uh it would have been a five if it was literally anything anything but the piano. else <laughs> yeah just because those things are so heavy and i just wild yes it's, it's just, just wild just just wild but i i liked it it showed a lot of the impact kurt had and i liked that he didn't push religion um he 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 uses the you know he used it it was one of his passions so he talked about it and i think with friends whether they're into the thing that you're talking about you know to an extent you can talk to them about it and, yeah and share your passion and at least get some sort of response yeah you for know? sure but he, it, it never felt like he was pushing it. I don't know if you got that feel or not. No, it. I mean, it's one of those things where I, I, he wasn't being intentional about it. It's one of those things where it's kind of hard. Like, I, I noticed it most with, like, Jean Grey's death, where, like, it's obviously important for Kurt and that, like, how he copes with Jean yeah. Grey's death and stuff like that. Obviously, Wolverine being a, not particularly religious, like, that information doesn't help him. So it's it's one of those things where it's just, like, it feels a little pushy from Wolverine's point of view, but from right. like an outside perspective, you can really tell that it's not being Kurt, but like, cause w Kurt's obviously aware of how Wolverine feels about yes. that stuff. So <laughs> like just mentioning it in a time of grief is right. kind of just sets Wolverine off. Other than that, I mean, yeah, it, it it's not really pushy, but it, it, you know, it's touching on his faith. It is a big part of Kurt's, Right, Kurt's story. Yeah, not personality, but his persona. I mean, part part of his personality, like yeah, a lot of the stuff he does is because of that. So, yeah, but pretty solid overall. But I think that's uh that's where we're gonna call it this week. We're gonna keep it a little bit shorter. Yeah, no Audrey, and we'll uh, we'll do some more readings coming up here soon. And uh, if you like what we do here. You know, please review, like, comment, subscribe, join our social medias, spread the word with friends. We have mm -hmm. the link tree link down below in the show notes for all of our socials. Uh, but for this week, I'm Mike. I'm Charlie. Thank you for joining us and talk to you next time.